delighted that you have found the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. I'm Angela Cox, your host and indeed the Mindset Mentor, and I'll be interviewing executives and founders at the top of their game to find out what lies beneath. I want to know what makes people proud, how they define success, what holds them back and indeed what drives them forward. This is authentic and natural conversation with the best in the business. So listen in, enjoy and if you love what you hear, please do leave a review. And now over to today's guest. Hello and welcome to this episode of the podcast. Now, I am delighted that today I am with my very good friend, Will Jennings, who actually I've only met fairly recently. It's been about about six months in the making this relationship. And Will is today in London. It's nice to see people uh, back in the working environment. And he has got the most amazing view looking out over the city. I'm very jealous. Now, Will is Will Jennings, and he is the CEO in the UK for Rabobank. He's had such an interesting career and spent a long time with Lloyds Banking Group. So we have that in common. And he is the best storyteller I think I've ever met. So there you are, Will, setting you up for success today. How are you, my friend? I'm very well, thank you. Very, very well. No, no pressure with the introduction, but no, very well, as you say. Good to be back in the city and good to see life returning a little bit to normal here. So, yeah, lots to talk about and discuss and think about and, yeah. Absolutely. We- and I, I'm interested, first of all, in terms of you're in London today and normally you're in, when we speak, you're in your kitchen or your office or your lounge. How did you manage to leave the house this morning with all of your children? you know, intact and going off to school without you being there. Yeah. The key is to leave really, really early. <laughs> Avoid it. It's to escape under cover of darkness. Right? <laughs> Make a phone call at half past eight. How is everyone? Did everyone get all okay? <laughs> Just hope the answer is yes. But yeah, I love that. It's, it's different. And I think after a year or 18 months or so of being ever present in the house and bringing work to the home as much as home to, 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 to the work. It's a new set of routines and habits we all have to get into, which is great. It's a chance to try different things, but yeah, you leave a little bit of the carnage behind. But you do. <laughs> yeah, just avoid it. Love it. But you're right about that kind of transition. It, it is that developing the new habits, isn't it? We had to sit down with our children last night, talk about Martin going back to work and sort of say, you know, daddy's not going to be there to make your beds in the morning, kids. <laughs> So you're going to have to make them yourselves. Dad was never there to make the best part. <laughs> to, but, it, but it is, you know, we, we talk about it here quite a lot. And I think it's actually a, a topic in and of itself. When you're used to a, a work routine, as many of us were for many, many years of getting up, commuting in, commuting home, and you get into a real routine with it. To go from that to the complete opposite of, of not having to leave, not having to get into that. And, you know, you learn a, set, a second set of habits almost, but... This third set is probably the most complex because you're in between different routines and their whole new routines and the, the dynamic of the office is different and the complexity of that for people, we shouldn't underestimate. It'll take a long time for people to get used to it. And yeah, it's, it's a very different type of ambiguity. 
hopefully we'll get the best of both worlds. That's the plan, at least. Well, with you leading people through it, they have half a chance, at least. You're one of the few people I know that has a standing desk. Maybe I just don't know very healthy and fit people, but there you are standing at your desk, just as you do at home. Tell me how you managed to do that all day. I only do it when I'm visible on calls. That's the first that the first ah. looks more effective. Do you know something? It's we actually got a standing desk put in here in, in the building a couple of years ago, and, and and it was a bit of a, a novelty, I suppose, at the time. But there's a lot to be said for just moving around and even a little thing changing the way you stand or sit or where you sit. Or for those of us still working from home every now and then, being in a different room sometimes. Mm. It's amazing how much you sit down actually that you didn't realise that you did before, and it's. Yeah. It's quite good to stand up. It gives you a different type of energy, a different type of voice, I suppose, at times as well. So, yeah, it's good, actually. I have to, I'd, I'd recommend standing up meetings and walking meetings, even better than walking ones. Yeah, I love a walking meeting. If you can, like, keep your breath going, it's all good. Yep, exactly. Yep, and it's not in the rain or the wind. Well, you've definitely got an abundance of energy, so I can't wait to hear what you've got for us today. We're going to be talking, as we always do on the podcast, about three proudest moments. And I know just before we came on, you were like, actually, this was pretty tough. And this is what everybody says. So hit me with your first one. What have you landed on for that? Right. And, and you're right. I have to say, this is actually not an, it's not an easy topic, actually. And, and I'll explain a bit why even is that I think often when people talk about being proud of something or having pride in something, Depends a little bit on the school of thought or, 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 or your own your own context, but often pride can come with a bit of a negative connotation to it sometimes, right? And with one of the original sins and, and all sorts, mm-hmm. and sometimes it can paint you with a bit of arrogance or so on. And that I think long and hard about even what it means to be proud of something, right? And, and what it means to have pride in something. And I think it's there's clearly two different types, right? There's the good type and the bad type, and so. When I thought a lot about the good types of things that I'm, that I'm proud of and, and the things that have been really positive in that sense, I actually struggled a bit to think of events or things or, or end results. And what I found myself thinking more about is, is the types of experiences and the types of backgrounds or the types of events more broadly rather than specific end results, if you like. So I'll start off with, with a bit of a, a bit of a broad one, and it's less a moment, but more an environment and I think it probably took me a little bit of time to come to this realization but I'm actually really really proud of where I've come from right and and it's not something you often kind of think about or, or say that often but and I don't mean the, the street I grew up in or the house I grew up in or, or, or whatnot just generally the background and the events and and the and the, the good the bad the ugly the conversation mm-hmm. the, the the major moments and the milestones that just shape you, right? And, and they make you who you are. And I think there's nothing wrong with people saying that they're proud of who they are and mm-hmm. what they've become. And not to be read as being perfect, not to be read as being infallible, but just really proud of the basics and the foundations and the fundamentals and those building blocks that make you who you are and, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully make you to try to focus on the right things, doing the right thing the right way. And I think there's a lot to be said for it, actually, because often people try not to be proud of where they've come from or, or, or in some cases not talk about it. But for me, I think they're all a bit of a function of where we've come from and, mm. and good, bad or not. It's what I've seen. So I'm, personally, for me, I'm actually really, really proud of where I've come from and, and what it's made me now. So, yeah, that's my first one. 
and it's real, isn't it? You know, where we've come from is our reality. And you mentioned building blocks there. Talk to me about some of the building blocks then that that instill that pride in you. I think it's 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 really a collection of things. And I think when I look back and whether it's my family's background, my family kind of the Irish immigrants when, when they first came here in the 60s and, and what it means to kind of put down roots in a new country and, and, and that kind of of half aspiration, but also half fear that comes with being in a new environment. And what that kind of instills in, in the second generation, the third generation, you, you see that kind of move on. I think there's a lot to be said for that, that fighting spirit a little bit that I think that comes from that that new adventure of being, being from an immigrant family. We were quite lucky. We grew up in, in West London and a very multicultural area at the time, right? In the late 70s and early 80s and a whole melting pot of people from Spain and Italy and the West Indies and Africa and different parts of Europe. I mean, it really was as, as mixed as it comes. And, you know, you get to, without really knowing it, you get to absorb all those different flavours and cultures and all those things that just give you a different steer for things, actually. And, mm. No one could ever say they know this when they're growing up and they're seven or eight or 10 or 15 years of age, right? But I think when you look back on it, you see those influences on your life. I was very lucky, and we've discussed it before. I was very lucky, and it was as much my luck as design to have gone to a very a very special school in London. It, it had a powerful impact on me mm-hmm. after I more than more than when I was there. And you get those basic beliefs and those fundamental touchstones those those kind of points of respect and decency and good manners and hard work and discipline and those things that really and we'll come to it a bit later on as well I think but those things that really give you a good foundation in life and and they they sustain you when times are good but also when times are bad and things are always one point or another right good or bad and things you can always come back to so yeah and that goes through yeah life experiences and growing up and, and trying to different things so yeah, I think there was a lot from those early years that I look back on that have probably become even stronger touchstones the older I get and, and kids and wives and dogs and all sorts <laughs> that you try to impart those those learnings on. And I mean, I like that term that you're using, the touchstones, because what I'm hearing from you is, is we're actually talking about beliefs and values here and morals as well that you've taken from those childhood days and actually brought them into your adulthood and so if you were thinking about what you now pass on to your children what are the bits from your childhood that you'd really want them to embrace I think there's probably there's probably a couple actually I think definitely one of the top ones is to is to commit to things right and and to commit in purpose to commit with your effort to commit Mm. your ambition and, and your aspirations and, and you know, if, if you really do want something and if you really do want to be somewhere or to achieve something even if it's for yourself it doesn't have to be set the world on fire but if it's really just for something you want to achieve commit to it and and, and really trust yourself to do it because oh nice yeah there's, there's no people say it's kind of no limit on what people can do I mean, there's always to a degree limits right four foot one you're not going to play in the nba that's the way the world <laughs> But really, there are no limits to what people can achieve for themselves and, and the success that they want to have. And I like to think, I hope, that certainly from, from our kids' perspective, that we instill in them that work ethic and, 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 and that commitment ethic and, and also what it means to commit to other people, right? And to make sure that, that they can trust you, that you'll be there and that you, you'll do what you'll say you'll do. 
and, mm. and you'll be part of that journey with them. And I think part of that is really about honesty, right? And, and trying to be clear with what you can do, what you want to do, and what people can expect from you. And they're, they're pretty basic things, right? Mm. They feed onto other areas, whether it's and if you're going to commit to things and, and be part of that hard work environment, it's not enough just to do what you do. You have to continue to improve what you do and, and, and be part of a progress as much as just doing it for the there and then because everything passes. Right? Eventually yeah. it passes, the next day comes and the sun keeps rising and you know other challenges appear. So as long as you're there and you're present and you're willing and you're honest, I think that goes a long way, actually. Mm, agree. And, you know, my husband always talks about that song, it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it when he talks about culture in organizations and leadership and you're one of the one people that I know that is absolutely true to that song in terms of doing things in the right way you just embody that in terms of your beliefs and and how you operate and so thinking about that as a lens and then that element of trusting yourself I really like that because many times we hear about, as you say, the, the lack of limits, the believe in yourself and you can do anything. But I think that way of framing it around trusting yourself is a almost an easier way to believe in yourself, mm. but also comes from that really deep place of it's it'll be okay. Yeah. To pass on that to our next generation would be a marvellous thing. Yeah. No, I think trust is a really... It, it's a small word, right? And, and I think it's often thrown about quite often, a bit like purpose and, and other words that, that, that we hear quite a lot now. But when you distill it down and the ability to trust other people is, it's a huge act of bravery, right? Mm. Not, because it may be people you don't know, there may be agendas that you don't understand. You don't know a lot about everyone, right? There's people that you trust implicitly because you've known them a long time, but, but there's others that you don't. And, and it's the majority that you don't, that you bump into every day and, and that you deal with. So, to be able to have the confidence in your own position to yeah. trust people and to have the confidence in your own beliefs and your own capabilities to trust yourself. Yeah. I think two huge lessons in life, actually, that they say that youth is wasted a little bit on the young, and I think there is. <laughs> if I'd been more comfortable with both of those when I was younger, I wouldn't have said life would have been easier necessarily or, or success would have would come in different paths, but I think you become more at ease with yourself when you mm. develop that trust in both directions. And that ease and that confidence is incredibly powerful because it allows you to relax and it allows, yes. you, allows you to be clear-headed, right? And, and it comes, I might at least, from a position of trust in yourself and, and an ability to trust in others. It's... Yeah. It's not easy. It sounds easy. It's really, it's not easy. And there's a lot of for different people, different pathways, right? But yeah, if we can pass that trust on to other people, I think it's a great gift to give someone. Yeah, totally agree. And and as you say, it is that in both ways as well. So trusting ourselves. And you you said there, you know, it's really easy to trust people that you've known for a long time. Well, we've known ourselves more than we've known anybody else. So yeah, start to build that. So yeah. where you've come from. And all of the lessons that you've learned along the way. And, and you know, we talk about youth. You are only 43, Will. I oh, know. It's been tougher. But it's, it's been a, a tough 43 years. But yeah, only 43. Yeah. Still young. Still young. Because I'm the same age. So I am staying on the young side. Come on. So if that's the number one, 
What have you got as your second one? The second one is actually a, a bit of an extension of the first one. And again, it's not so much a moment or an event necessarily. I think it's a trait or a feature, perhaps, and I'm leaning a little bit on the pride in yourself kind of angle, is that I'm really proud of the fact that I'm okay with learning things and that yes. I'm okay with not knowing everything. And by virtue of the fact I'm often not, <laughs> I'm okay with not being the smartest guy in the room and having all the answers. And that's true, not just professionally, but, but personally mm-hmm. as well, right? I think, and people always talk about learning in terms of, what information can you pick up and, and what things can you add to your to your knowledge base? But a lot of it is also, for me at least, I'm, and I'm really proud of the fact that I don't always get this right and I often don't get it right, is that I'm also willing to let go of the things that I do know and the things that I thought were true and the things that I believe to be the right way to do it. And again, it's it comes a little bit back to that topic of trust again. Mm. That I think if you're if you're open-minded, if you're willing to learn if you're willing to, by definition, say that you were wrong before, I think it comes from a, a position where you trust yourself to actually mm-hmm. move forward with, with different topics. And again, I think learning, and we talk about passing things on to people, a thirst for learning. I, I was, I, was I, I don't know if I was lucky or not with this, but I was relatively late into getting a thirst for learning. And, and I think it was actually later on through university and, and really into, into work in life where I become really keen on reading all sorts of things you, you read more books than people have hot dinners you really do yeah you get a real energy from it right but you just read that passage or that phrase or that that page where you just go i didn't know that or where's that going to take me you're not yeah. a different or a different kind of discovery path and i think when we talk about the big issues that we see in the uk or globally or you know in society whatever else it, it is the ability to pass on knowledge is one mm. part of the solution. But the the willingness and ability to sit there and to listen is an inescapable part of, mm. of learning. Sometimes we can be a bit too quick to pass on what we know. Yeah. But sometimes actually you've just got to accept that you've got to listen, right? And and just absorb it and listen to other people and other perspectives. And I'm actually proud of the fact that I'm getting better at that. I, I, I think I'm okay with it, but but it's enjoyable. So yeah, proud of the fact that I'm okay with learning. And it's lovely as well, because you'll quite often say, oh, I've just read this or I've just read that. But I mean, they're the most random things as well that you read. So we're not just talking about, you know, economics or, you know, what might be happening in leadership. I mean, you read stuff about everything. Yep. I actually read a book about container units at one point. (laughs) And I, I can't really explain how I got on the subject of container units and how it changed the shape of shipping and global economies i mean that's where you go but you know everything from container ships to cod and salt and yeah system thinking it's just it's just a i'm a big believer that pretty much everything that we see that we touch that we talk about that we hear about that we learn about everything is to one degree or another connected right Mm -hmm. directly or indirectly and the ability to join those dots i think is fascinating and to see where these things take you and you know, I think that's true professionally. It's true for the paths we choose to go down mm-hmm. in terms of careers and, and, and where we do it and what we choose to do, the challenges we give ourselves. But I think from a personal perspective, it's also really, really important because those different conversations with people that are from different backgrounds or from different perspectives or 
different generations, whatever it is, they're the stories that people tell. They're an important part of, of people connecting, actually. And, you know, we've talked about leadership and other topics around that. It's if the one thing you manage to do is to make people connect effectively, you're doing okay as a leader. Yeah. Well, and we talk about this a lot. And, you know, I've got part of my mind just going, wouldn't it be awesome in a pub quiz? Which you know is a distraction that's coming in from the right, Will, but also that I. By the way, so I'd be awful in a pub quiz. Any offers for that? I'd be useless. But also, I'm curious because whenever I'm working with people, one of the aspirations is that they can let go of the knowledge they already have and relearn something, or you know that they can admit that they don't know or that they've got it wrong. So all of these themes you've talked about. I'm curious to know whether that's something that you've had to grow into, because I think when you've reached the heights that you've reached, you know, you're at the top now of your organization in the UK, you can come from that place of, oh, I've got there. And, you know, the expectation on you is is less because you're not striving in the same way to get somewhere. So is it because you're at that place now that you can sit back and say, yep, you know, I can admit now that I don't know it all and I can be curious, et cetera. Or is it something that's always been there? That's a great question. If I'm honest, I think looking maybe at the, the, the role I have now, and it'd be true for anyone who is responsible for an organisation, whether their own or someone else's or, or, or a big or a small group, I think that the, the responsibilities change when you get to, to, to that type of role. And I'm always a little bit low to, to, to say, at the top or, or with a team, because I think it, it, it's, it's a lot flatter than, than, than that would suggest. You just have a certain role to play. And I, I kind of touched on it a bit earlier on. The role isn't so much a technical role when you get to, to that kind of position. It is really about storytelling and it is about making those connections and removing the obstacles to people reaching their potential. Mm-hmm. So to my mind, at least, you never really let go of the things that you've learned and you never really forget them or completely override them. You just have them available for a different environment and a different context where actually what was wrong there may be right here and, and what, what was good there may be bad somewhere else. And I think you just build up a bit of a repertoire of, of skills and insight and knowledge that when you look at an organisation from a different perspective, you find different places to apply it. And, and so it's really a little bit of one of judgment and, and one of trying to make sure that at the right time, you, you bring the right experience to the table. And often case, there isn't an answer for, mm-hmm. for what you're facing. You know, I can pretty much sure I'm safe and nearly everyone on the planet that the last 18 months have brought an environment that doesn't have a rule book. And, and it's not just about the physical or obvious challenges of being locked down and the impact that has. It's a psychological impact of it. Mm-hmm. It's the people's routines, their behaviours, maybe their careers, maybe their lives all the tragic events that surrounded that. And, you know, when you get to that environment, you actually don't have an answer. And anyone who says they does and anyone who accuses anyone of having not had one, I think we need to take a step back and have a bit more empathy about the the situations that that people have to make those decisions in. So, yeah, is it something that, that I've had to learn to do? Yeah, actually, because I think as you go through your career and you go through life, again, it's maybe one of the, uh, unfortunate benefits of youth right that you do think you have the answer and you do think that you've <laughs> your last problem is the biggest problem anyone's ever seen in their lives and, you know your last success is as good as it gets but it doesn't work that way 
as you go through different exposures, and I'm a big fan of people seeing different environments and different contexts because you see it play out in different ways. Mm. But to broaden your horizons lets you acknowledge the fact that each environment is quite different and, and you don't really have a choice whether to let go of what you learn or not. You just have to be humble enough to accept the fact that you don't have the answer. Oh, I love that. You have to be humble enough to accept the fact that you don't have the answer. I mean, that just kind of plays into authenticity for me. And I guess, you know, when I look at organizations through this external lens that I have now, often the organizations themselves create that lack of authenticity in people because of the way that the culture is defined and actually getting it wrong whilst on a piece of paper it's written down as what we'd like to do. We want you all to accept and say when you've got it wrong. The reality is when that does happen, the big finger of blame comes out. And so the the two things aren't aren't really aligned. But the way that you always talk about how you work is about wanting to kind of shift that type of culture into one of of people doing things in the right way with the right intention. So as the CEO of this organization, I mean that's a mammoth task in itself, but how do you actually go about instilling that, cascading that throughout your organization? Because it's hard. Yeah, maybe speaking a little bit of things I don't have a full answer to, right? This is probably one of those things where, where, where I don't think there is necessarily a full answer. But it's interesting you say that. And I think you're absolutely right. If you look at all organizations, I think, to varying degrees, there is a desire and in places a need to create an image of stability and an image of predictability and an image where it's not necessarily infallible, but it's it's as good as things can be because yeah. we are, right? And you see a standardization of commentary, of corporate messaging, of being on message, if you like, around around or promote and say, there's very good reasons for it. I mean, all yeah. But I think the flip side to it is that if you promote that, to the expense of anything else or to exclusion of anything else, you create an artificial stability, mm. actually. And, you know, obviously I'm in a, a commercial bank, a financial services firm, where we operate in an environment that by definition is not stable. It's risk management. If it was stable, we'd have nothing to manage, right? If you look at the last 20, 30, longer even, it's an industry defined by its lack of stability. Yeah. How do you create stability in a world that isn't stable and, and you're not on, on, on solid footings. And the only way to do it, in my view at least, is that we don't give people a false comfort that this is the way it is and things are going to be fine and the world will always be fat and, and the rivers will never kind of move again. It's <laughs> prepare people for the reality that we face. And, and that reality is that it is volatile and it is unpredictable. It can be very short term at mm. times. But if you enable people, maybe to come back to the original things you're proud of in the first instance, if you give people the right fundamental values, and if you give people the right tooling, and and that sounds a bit consultancy speak, the right tooling, but by which I mean the right skill sets, soft skills as well as, as, as technical skills, and you really encourage them to do the right thing the right way, then, as I'm fond of saying, the result will take care of itself, right? And if you make sure you look after yourself, that you're the best that you can be, that, mm. that you're delivering on your potential, the result will take care of itself. And 
it allows people to be flexible because they're not locked into this mindset of this box will always be square because it, it won't always be square. There won't always be a lid and there won't always be corners. be <laughs> <laughs> sure people can move around within that. They still need a box because you need boundaries and, and you need that space in which you know you can operate. Mm-hmm. But be honest with people. I mean, anyone who thinks the world is always going to go north from a growth perspective has not been reading the news for the last 150 years. So be clear, enable, support, and let people be open about the, the, the fears and aspirations and oh, nice. yeah, buy into it. Nice. And, and recognize that fears and aspirations are normal. Human nature. It is what Absolutely. it is. Absolutely. And we can talk about the workplace and, and organizations, big or small, but it's for every everyday interaction. Eh? We've mm. all got fears and, and dreams and, and things that keep us awake at night. And, you know, you come back to those touchstones, as we, as we mm. call them. You've got a place where you can start again from. And, yeah. and one has to start again at some point. That's just the cycle of life. And, yeah. and the people are prepared and comfortable. And as I say, that they trust themselves that they'll be okay to get back up again. I think that's as much as you can do when you're passing on the jersey to someone. Yeah. I, oh, I love it. I love it. And I think that that recognition that sometimes it's hard, that sometimes we need that brutal honesty, and that sometimes the fears and the doubts are going to come in is so key. Got a bit of a bee in my bonnet about this generally at the moment. And I've actually fallen into this trap myself in the early kind of setup of my coaching world. You know, eliminate self-doubt, you know get rid of fear. And actually the reality is you can't do that because we're set up to feel those things instinctively. And therefore it's it's about strategies or tooling to manage those things, but know that they're going to be there because I think what society is doing at the moment is actually setting us up to feel like we're failing because I should be able to eliminate these things and actually I'm still feeling them. So there must be something wrong with me. Well, it's the big challenge, right? I think for, certainly for kids coming through and teenagers and, and so on, and, and, and I, I forget which generation we're up to now, X or Z or, or some other new alphabet. But, <laughs> but I think it's a real challenge, right? Because when, when, you know, when our parents were younger, when we were younger, we didn't have that immediacy of social media. Yeah. And the, I touched a bit earlier on, the artificial construct that we put around our lives where we try to immunize all of our children from every fear and danger and don't climb mm. the tree, you might hurt yourself and don't do this or you know, wash your hands a million times a day because you might get germs. Well, the reality is life is like that, right? And, yeah. and, and it's true as you get older and organizations face it, you, you can't control that that risk. You, you can you can put in some mitigants around it, but you can't mm. put in and you can't eliminate it. You need to be able to prepare for it. You need to be able to, if you can, preempt it. And if you can, great. Yeah. Good luck with the billions that you make at some point in your life, because you will. You can preempt all the things that come our way, but you need to be prepared to respond to it. And for me, at least, we're all everyone's going to have to face some challenge of that type. And the more we dispel the notion that there's no risk and there's no danger and there's no challenges and there's no difficult times, mm. not to be kind of dark mooded about it, it's just the reality, right? That I think it makes people stronger because rather than fear the future and fear the uncertainty, they learn to embrace it and the yeah. opportunity to shape it and the opportunity to be part of what it becomes. And I think that's where we look not just to our generation or generations before or, or generations that, that will follow, is that they take that positive step to shape the environment that they're yeah. in and the environment they pass on because 
if we don't step forward to do it deliberately, then it's going to happen by accident. And that typically doesn't end well. <laughs> Absolutely. Way. You know, make it as, as good as you can be and, and accept that, you know, just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it's wrong. So accept that there's going to be fear, risk, doubt, yep. learn to manage it. And it builds resilience is what we're saying yep. from that place of being a learn it all. And I just have to say at this point that, you know, spoken like a true CRO, because before you took the position as CEO, you were actually chief risk officer, weren't you? You can yes. so tell then in how but you I, just described that. And actually, when I was a chief risk officer, I say was as if it's a distant memory, it's only about nine months. <laughs> we had a, a staff event here at one point, and I can't remember if it was me or someone else described me as the uh, the chief optimist, actually. Because, <laughs> um, despite acknowledging that all of these challenges and, and so on exist, that they're, they're not in and of themselves negatives, right? Mm. They're just how things evolve. And I'm a big believer in the ability of people not just to survive these things, but to thrive within them. Yeah. And they create opportunities for discussion, for innovation, for, for thinking of new solutions. And it's often during periods of crisis or extreme events where we mm. make the leaps forward. I read a book recently. No. You did. Unsurprising to hear, huh? It's, it's, I'm trying to get to audio, but it's not really working for me. But it's, uh, I read a book where, where the guy wrote a book described, I think it was World War One or Two in a certain way. It led to jumps in employment, females in the workforce the vote being given to loads of people that's one way to describe what happened out of mm. world war the other way of course it was a horrific world mm. war with millions of casualties but you know we, we make those leaps forward during those times where we're testing yeah. them that's more optimistic than not i think yeah ever the optimist nothing wrong with that is a great position to live from so we've got being really proud of where you've come from and those kind of morals and values and beliefs and the lessons you've learned. We've got this then being prepared to be the learn it all and acknowledging when you need to relearn something. What's the third one? This for me is is the best one, actually. And, and I, I didn't think the first two were too bad. This is the best one. So for me, I'm really, really proud of the company that I keep, actually. Everyone is always really proud of their family, right? And, and, and kids yeah. and partners. I'm incredibly proud of mine. I think they're, they're a great group of individuals and the kids are growing into, into great young adults, right, as they go through their early years. And so incredibly proud of them. I think the contribution they're already making, the, the way they live their lives, that the things they do, that the, the values they try to live by, my wife has done in bringing them up while I'm at work and, and, and so on, and, and the job that she has and, and the business that she runs. I think they're incredible, right? And I think it's... And everyone says their family's perfect, and I'm sure that's true for everyone who says their family's perfect. But no family's perfect, right? We have our own our own trials and tribulations and challenges mm -hmm. of having four kids in the house and, and, and so on. And But they're great. And, and, and they, they're definitely a, a reality check when I walk through the door. And yeah. when I've had days ago, yeah, look, Dad, that's a first world problem. Right? Yeah, no, you're right. That is a first world problem. <laughs> I can't make the spreadsheet add up. But they're brilliant. But also, you know, extended family. And, and people often talk about family and friends. They mean their immediate family and their friends. But actually... Extended family is massively important. You know, whether it's you know, my wife's parents or, or, or her family or my extended family, the friends that we have, close or not close, you know, there's a saying, isn't there, that you are the company that you keep. And, mm. and I'm going to be proud of all of the, the people that I'm friends with and or close or not close to even, because they're good enough and decent enough to also keep me as their company. And mm. so, you know, we, we we have all the good discussions that you can imagine in that group of people, but 
they're a never-ending source of inspiration and pride and optimism. And yeah, I just think they're a great group of people. And you know how it is, right? You go through life when you're at high school or college or university or work or different workplaces. Your circle of friends change, right? Mm-hmm. Some contact with some don't, but whether it's for a fleeting year or few months or whether it's over your entire lifetime, everyone you come into contact with shapes you a little mm-hmm. bit. Some you deliberately choose no longer to be part of their lives or vice versa. Some you wish you could, but you can't. But they all play a role. And I think when you look back at, at the, the timeline of it all and, and you look at the friends that you surround yourself with at any point in time, they're there for a reason, right? They're there because of who you've become and who they are. And it should always be, whenever you spend time with friends or family or, or, or so on, it should be a time that you enjoy. And, mm-hmm. and when there are lots of things going on and the stresses of work or the travails of pandemics and so on, you know, you should always cherish those moments with family and friends because every minute passes, right? And and, and every minute is a chance to do something that makes you laugh or, or, or that kind of cheers you up or gives you a different perspective and, and to learn, right? And mm. pass it on. So, yeah, I'm very proud of them. They're, they're a good bunch. They're a challenging bunch. They're a good bunch. <laughs> <laughs> and they certainly challenge you, I can tell. But tell me about that being present because, you know, with family and particularly with family and work being quite blurred through the pandemic, that essence of being present in the family time I find that quite challenging because I've always got a head full of what I should be doing and, you know, what needs to be done. How do you manage that then so that you can give of yourself and, you know, get from them what you need? I I have to say, and and I I have no doubt at all, if you ask any of my family or friends, they'll give you exactly the same answer. I often struggle with it, right? Because you're right, it's constant. And I think... Mm everyone's daily lives is always something on their mind. I think it's very easy to be busy all the time and to be preoccupied with the next day or the next thing or what you could be doing instead of what you're doing now. And, and as you say, making the beds and so on isn't necessarily the most occupying pastime as well. But I think, and this is something that I'm actually very, I have quite a strong view on, that you, you really need to, or at least I find that I need to, really focus on those things that you can control. Mm. I think, the reality is when you're, and, and it helps you to focus on where you are at that point, right? whether it's yes. in room or, or, or on a phone call or, or whatever, or someone's talking to you, you can only control what's in front of you right there and right there. And there is no point worrying about the meeting in the morning. There's yeah. no point worrying about the meeting you had yesterday. There's no point worrying about the fact that football is on the other channel because you're not going there and you're not going to go there anytime soon. You are where you are. And I think even for those minutes, those hours, those evenings, those weekends, that's where you are and that's what you can control and you should embrace what you can control because to think and worry and to be preoccupied with things that are outside your control is really to deal with it twice and, mm. and there's no need for that. Deal with it when you're there to deal with it and have that organisation around your time that allows you to be able to control what's in front of you and to not be preoccupied. So it's a huge test of discipline, right? Mm. It's a huge tough discipline and, and, and so on but I think of those moments where you do say I'm going to stop thinking about this and I'm just going to listen and I'm just going to enjoy just sitting here having dinner right even yeah. if you're not about stuff and those little bits are good but they, they are probably the highlights of the day when you just really are able to be present and, and to mm. focus on what's around you because there's always time for other stuff not always time for those moments so yeah that is so true 
That is so true. And and that little nugget you've just thrown in there in terms of you end up doing it twice. You know, that's the thing to hold in your mind, isn't it? In terms of effectiveness and productivity and all of the things you've got to do. Well, if you're doing everything twice, then bit of a fool there really so I like that you you throw these little nuggets in and you know you're kind of like oh there you go after that one it's like the Will Jennings lessons in life this I feel a book coming on Will oh god no I haven't got the patience to write <laughs> you know when you've got time just chuck that one in as well yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we've had your proudest moments. They've given us a real insight into Will the Man, really, because we've explored lots of different elements along the way there. So I'd be interested then to hear how you answer the kind of the killer question, (laughs) as I refer to it. And this question has had so many different answers. It beggars belief. And that's a book in itself. So in your view... What do you think the secret to success is? This is definitely the one that, that took me the longest to think through. And, I, and I'll be honest, I'm not entirely sure I've got the full answer. But I think in the first instance, I think it's really important that, and I found it at least, that people take the time to think about what success means for them. Mm. And what it is because it's not always one single goal that I want to become a millionaire or I want to win this or do that. I think success changes over the years and it changes depending on your circumstance and you know, if I think back to you know, when I was at high school success is getting through your GCSEs really <laughs> yeah. then it's getting to your A levels relatively unscathed and it's somehow meandering through university and, and then you know when you take your first job it's, it's doing well it's getting mm-hmm. promoted these are relatively short-term successes if you like and, and they're part of a much longer chain so they also require different drivers to achieve them some it's about support, some it's about discipline, some it's about your own technical capability. So I think if there are secrets to success, I think the first part is understanding what it is you're trying to succeed at and what it looks like and, and be clear in yourself actually about whether that's really success for you or, or whether it's someone else's success, yes. whether it's something that people expect from you but isn't yeah. necessarily what's there for you. So that's the first bit is, is be clear, I think, in what you're trying to achieve. But I think then there's also some fundamental parts to being successful, whether it's a short-term goal or a long-term one or or one maybe your own kind of inner well-being, is that there are some universal features. And for me, at least, it's making sure that, you, that you're curious and that you learn and that you listen and, and that you really try to absorb as much as you can. Mm. I think that you're fair with people. And part of that, I think, is being honest with people. And you don't lead people up the garden path a little mm. bit terms of where they are or where you are i think you have to be fair in how you treat people i think there is no small amount of bravery required i think you do have to have courage and that's not an easy thing to come by particularly when you have to have those difficult conversations or you have to challenge people or or you have to make a leap of faith you have Mm -hmm. to back yourself and trust yourself and and so on or maybe just be yourself right sometimes that's hard enough just just being able to be yourself and there are many examples where people don't feel like they can be themselves. And it's, you know, how can you possibly succeed when you can't even be yourself? And so totally. bravery is a huge part. I think the other thing is to be measured. And by that, I think it's to really not feel like you have to do everything all at once and, and not to, to not, not, not to say, well, 
I'm only a success if I'm a billionaire. Well, okay, well a million will be fine. I'm all right with that. Oh, God, <laughs> that first step as opposed to... Just do things in a way that is is manageable and controllable. And, and it's not a it's not a sprint, right? The life we go through, it's a marathon. There's lots of twists and turns to it and lots of things that come your way that you just need those four just a touchstones. And it really comes a little bit from, from stoicism to a point, Angela, and, and really trying to find those fundamental beliefs that you can keep coming back to and it's probably a nice connection to what i'd say is the overarching driver that i think that that gives people that contentment and, and that satisfaction that they're doing well and succeeding it really comes down to mindset really really does because if you keep an open mind if you keep what they call it a growth mindset or, or an infinite mindset whatever the term is you want to apply to it it's one where you don't limit yourself but also one where you're honest with yourself and honest mm. with people I think if you do the right thing the right way and you continue to try to be good at what you do, success in, in however you choose to define it will come, whether that's passing an exam or achieving a certain job title or, or whatever it is. I don't think there's a, a secret source. I think this is really mm. fundamentals that I'm a big believer that we all need to go back to a little bit because there isn't a, a magic liquid or a, or a lotion or a potion for this, right? It's back to basics, work hard and, and, and do it the right way. It's almost like your three proudest things in a nutshell there, isn't it? That are wrapped in this wrapper that says do the right things in the right way. I mean, that's what I know Will Jennings for. That is the mantra that, you know, I see kind of written over your head. Here is a man who every day gets out of bed with an intention to do the right things in the right way. And, you know, that's something that I think we can all connect to and strive for it's not always easy but what a great way to live your life yeah and, and, and you know let's be clear probably wrong more often than i'm right when it comes to trying to do the right thing we right all right. are yeah people shouldn't fear being wrong with these things because as most people who've achieved anything whether it's there's a great quote i think from i think it's michael jordan or someone who said that he's missed significantly more shots yeah. than he put in and you know, if you're a Premier League footballer, you'll lose more games than you win, and exactly. you'll miss more than the target, and that's okay, right? Because mm. it, they're all learnings; they're, they're not failures, and that's you hope certainly for, for for the kids and for people generally. They embrace that idea that that you don't really fail; eh? you, you just learn. And as long as you take the time to learn, yes. you'll be better next time. And that one percent a day that adds up, so it's a good thing. Love that. So doing the right things in the right way. Thinking about where you've come from, that whole sort of values piece, the authenticity piece, it being open to learning, accepting that mistakes happen. What can you learn? We've talked about being curious, being open-minded. I mean, the secret to success is a complete book in itself. I am just going to delete the measured bit, you know, because measured and Angela Cox is like a, an oxymoron. So I'm not signing up to that if that's the secret to success. <laughs> Maybe you stretch examples out over a long enough time frame. <laughs> One day. Take the average. That'll do. <laughs> the acceptance around. of mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I was loving you until you said that, you see. <laughs> you edit. We'll go back and change the measure. <laughs> unbalanced that, I love that one <laughs> exactly exactly yeah oh Will you know what your wisdom has come to the fore in its 
a lovely, humble way that only you can. You know, you're never a tell person, you're a share person. And it's been an absolute joy to hear your stories and your wisdom. So thank you for sharing. And yeah, I am sure that you will inspire many. So I will love you and leave you. Have yourself a lovely rest of the day. And take good care of you and yours. Super. Thank you very much. And so just like that, we're at the end of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your time listening today. And a big thank you from me for taking the time. I'd really love it if you would be able to leave a review because it really does help us to get noticed. And if you haven't already, why not subscribe and then you never miss an episode. I wish you a lovely rest of the day, whatever it is that you're doing. And I hope that you stay safe and well.